What is up, group members? Welcome back to the pod. I'm licensed psychologist, Dr. J. I'm licensed clinical social worker, Kristen Gingrich. I'm licensed clinical psychologist, Dr. Kristen Casey. And I'm licensed psychologist, Dr. Jessica Raven. You sure are. And we got a great topic for today. Rejection sensitivity in therapy. Does my therapist hate me? Oh, and that's not all, folks. Buckle up, especially if you're driving. We got an expert coming in, Dr. T. Dr. Ty Alonzo will be joining us. So settle in, take a seat, and welcome to Group Therapy. I'm happy to be here for once. Gosh, I miss you all. We miss you. We've been out a lot. Glad you're not dying. Yeah. We're in Ohio. I survived the bubonic plague. Both, I survived. Maybe you're the same thing. <laughs> I survived Ohio going through a family storage shed and finding gems from the 90s. I need you and... to read these notes. Petition to read oh, yeah. these notes and just de-identify them. I found a box of notes from middle school and high school. And if you knew me back then, just know I might bust these out. You can Venmo me $5 to prevent this. Anyways, we are stoked for this topic because it's one that can feel a bit taboo, but as mental health professionals, it's actually one that comes up a lot and it can prevent progress in psychotherapy, rejection sensitivity. What is this thing? I think about it as like the tendency to like expect or perceive rejection or even like react intensely to rejection or maybe something that's ambiguous that you feel like is rejection so if it's something kind of neutral and you don't know how the person actually means it you'll you have a higher tendency to perceive it as a negative thing like you're being Mm. rejected rather than like oh that was just a neutral statement yeah i think to add to that i think people are geared to almost like expect people to reject them in a sense because they're so maybe used to seeing it within themselves um or like Jess is saying they might kind of feel like oh I know I'm gonna feel intense if I'm rejected so I might try to avoid it or I might try to like people please potentially not everybody does that um that's just what I notice mm-hmm. I think it comes up a lot in therapy too Justin like mm-hmm. you said I have my theories as to why but I would love to hear you all but just thinking about like reasons why people go to therapy whether it be depression anxiety we see a rejection sensitivity a lot in like neurodivergence like adhd autism so Mm. in my mind it kind of makes sense that we would see this come up in the therapy room absolutely i think i think like my when i think of it i think a lot of it when i hear from my clients is like it comes down to like the being paid to care and they mm. and that piece of never feeling like that caring is genuine. So they're constantly wondering, like, what are their actual, like, what are your actual thoughts? What do you actually feel about me? When the reality is, is like, that, that is like, we have actual feelings. And usually it is just like being in that space with you and seeing that piece. But because of that, because of that, like, paid portion it skews a lot of individuals, I think, perception of what that is. 
I'm glad you brought that up. I, I tend to think too that like if you experience it in your quote unquote real life, it's going to come up in the therapy room. You know, you're just naturally going to experience it. And I think another layer to it, which I really do want to normalize is that there's a differential there. You know, your therapist is essentially not telling you anything about them really. I mean, you kind of know them, but you don't really know them. You tell your therapist way more in a perfect world than they would tell you. So I do think that there's this tendency to feel vulnerable. And I think for people with rejection sensitivity, or they have, you know, they, they have a heightened sense of that, that they might feel it even more if they're being more vulnerable. Yeah, the interpersonal process therapist I am, I love thinking about the corrective emotional experience. And for so many people, how this is going to play out. You feel like you were rejected by a caregiver, you know, a sibling, maybe it was, you know, in your coming of age experiences, those same dynamics are 100% going to play out between you and your therapist over time. And I think that's something a lot of people, when they step into therapy, they don't think about of it's not just necessarily about learning skills, but it's highlighting how we interact and relate with others. And that's going to play out with the therapist. But I agree a lot with what KBI said there, that there is this power differential that makes some people really question and, you know, get curious of like, yeah, do you care about me? And like, is, is this just a job for you? I've seen that play out as well of people trying to get to the core of like, who are you person in the nice chair, even though I say clients can sit wherever. The only people who choose the therapist chair are usually teens, which I love. But yeah, like, who are you in this dynamic with me? And do you do you genuinely care about me? Well, and, and I think it's so hard, too, because that's such a loaded question. Like you said, like, Justin, like, is this just a job to you? And it's such a loaded question because at the end of the day, if I say, yes, this is my job, Correct. it automatically you automatically come over here and say, well, then you're paid to care. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, is oh, it, it is a job for us. Now, granted, there are a million other things that I could be doing that don't involve a lot of feelings and a lot of listening to hard stories and things like that, that I could be doing. But I choose this because mm -hmm. I enjoy this. Therapists choose this because they enjoy this. They enjoy doing this in, in, in that way. But when you start labeling it, it's like when you label being a therapist as a job, it suddenly discounts the connection mm -hmm. or that emotional kind of exchange that happens in a session. And I think that's one of the things that makes me really sad about it is, is that, you know, we're so quick to discount that because at the end of the day, you know, I got bills I got to pay. I wouldn't do it for free oh, yeah. because it's my oh, yeah. job. But it also is more than a job to me as well on that other hand. Yeah, there are reasons why you chose this. And again, I, I don't minimize for people out there who choose a certain job just because they're like, I, hey, I need to pay the bills. We all do. But I think beyond that, when you really look at what careers people are passionate about and why they get into them, there's something deeper there. It's whether you go through your own struggles, it aligns with your values, you're really curious about human behavior or into the science or research, there's something there. And to bridge yeah. a little bit, part of me wonders like, what, what do you think are the common sort of questions, topics that people are often too scared to talk to their therapist about? 
Oh my gosh. I feel like I could go on and on. <laughs> I could, I could make a whole damn list. Yeah, yeah. The, the main one um, that I think about is do you actually enjoy or mm-hmm. not enjoy spending time with me, but do you actually like me? Do you like me as a client? Yeah. Okay. Are you tolerating me or do you like me? Because I think a lot for a lot of people who are experiencing rejection sensitivity, I think they're very in tune with how is this person perceiving me, you know? Mm-hmm. And if they get a sense of like, I can't really read them, then it causes a lot of stress for them. Like if I can't read them, then I don't know if I'm going to be rejected. And therefore I don't know, you know, how this person's going to feel and what does it mean about this relationship? And I, I think that that comes out in so many different relationships. And notably, if that does happen in therapy and you are experiencing that, it's probably a good thing to bring it up if you trust your therapist, because that's the place to work through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think of Guilty. any like poten- potentially like taboo topic or something that maybe other people in their life have judged them for and they're scared to bring up because I mean I've heard that a lot from my teens like there's something I want to talk to you about but I'm scared if I bring it up you're going to be disappointed in me or upset in me um I also think kind of going off of what K10 said you know people wondering if like it's the information they shared or them as a person is like too much because I know all of us have probably gotten questions before, like, how can you do the job? How can you sit and hear these stories all day? And, you know, I'm sure clients sit there and wonder, like, you know, how is me sharing this impacting my therapist? Am I too much for my therapist when I come in with all these various crises and trauma stories? Um, are they going to fire me? That's another one I think a lot of people are worried about, whether it's a question or just like a pondering in the back of their mind. Yeah. When you're talking about like all of those things, right? You cannot trauma dump on your therapist. It, it's not a thing. It's like, and that's sometimes, again, like you said, Jess, like it's so scary. Like, did I say too much too fast? Did I is this too heavy? Like, I'm worried that my therapist is going to take this home at night and and think about it. The reality is, is we're going to just in the capacity of we're human. I sit there, like, I can sit here and say, this sits on my desk. A client made me this. Every time I look at it, I think of a client and it thinks, and I think of something, right? I th- we're human. It's It's natural to think of things. But that's, again, like, there's stuff that happens on that other end as your therapist, right, that they, you know, if something is heavy in your session and they are experiencing a reaction on their end, that's not on the client. That's on the therapist. And that's a hard thing for clients to separate in that because they because they feel, and as, as someone who has been in that client chair, who has disclosed, you know, deep traumas, it's hard not to feel something towards that. Like, oh, I made them upset. I hurt them. Yeah. I put too much out there. When the reality is that's on the therapist to then seek supervision and balance in that. Um, yeah. 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 It, just to add like a few other points, I think any sort of identity, race, sexuality, kink, all these things often where people will question, will my therapist's perspective, cultural background, biases weigh in on me? 
That's key. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's a real solid reflection. And yet the thing I often like, and I've had this discussion with clients before, in a lot of ways, I don't care at all how you live your life. I just want to know how it's working for you. Genuinely. And I think that's one of the privileges you have as a therapist. You often work with people that see the world, come from a part of the world, and are just living a life so different than your own. And that's completely okay and normal. Uh, I, I will say there's rare circumstances for whatever reason, like a therapist shouldn't take on a type of client because they have certain biases. There's a good debate in our field about that of like, what does it mean if you can't take certain clients on? And again, there can be other reasons because of trauma or whatever, but you got to know that as an individual. But the global overall, we are interested in how things are working for you. And I know for me, I'm trying to see the world the best that I can through your lens. And that, yeah, we get into kink, we get into sexuality, we get into all kinds of things that are taboo, it feels taboo to talk about outside the therapy room. But in the therapy room, it feels like, yeah, this is just another day at my job. And I'm so interested in you. I think you hit the nail on the head because I think a lot of our clients are like, but how do you really feel about what I'm doing with my life? And essentially my opinion doesn't really matter. You know, it, it, it honestly really doesn't, you know, it, it's really, like you said, how is it working for you? Is it values aligned for you? Is it causing distress? Do you feel good about it? Do you feel bad about it? Mm. Because I'm not you. Nope. And I'm not here to judge, you know? So if you're living your life differently than I would, it doesn't necessarily mean that I would not agree with how you're living your life. But at the end of the day, we're two different people. And the whole purpose of therapy is to create space for you to explore those things, not to get validation from me, you know? Um, so I think a lot of clients with rejection sensitivity, they might be searching for that. Like, but what do you think? And, you know, do you actually care and all that stuff? The caring thing is one thing, but I do think that the opinion, my personal opinion, technically doesn't really have space in the therapy room because we're all so different. And to add a note to that, we also, because you absorb so many different people, you see in real time that all these different flavors of living can bring joy, happiness, meaning. But when I keep saying the privilege of being a therapist, you get to see that uniqueness that I think in a lot of other professions, you don't get to see and hear the narrative of like, again, the class of what works for you might not work for me or anybody else, which is why as therapists, we always get so like spidey sensed or like, I get agitated when people are like, oh, you give advice. I'm like, who wants my advice? Like, I, I, my advice probably applied to like one other person out there. Like, it's not going to go very far. But yeah. in us understanding you and your cultural background and all these unique things about you, that's really when psychotherapy is most effective versus us just taking something out of a random textbook and being like, copy paste onto you. Uh -uh. No interventions work great that way. And thinking about people that are highly sensitive to rejection, mm. a lot of questions probably come up like, am I annoying? Does my therapist even like me? Did I frustrate? Because I know 
I have gotten this question, so I'm sure you all have, especially on social media, like, do you have clients you don't like? Are there clients that annoy you or frustrate you? And like, I don't know how to explain it as a psychologist other than like when you're in the therapy room, it's just different. Like, like there, and granted, I would not hang out with my clients outside because one, unethical, and two, they're minors, and that would be weird, even if we didn't have, like, ethical boundaries. But, like, there are definitely clients. Like, I know if we were not in a therapeutic relationship, this is not a type of person that I would probably associate with. However, that doesn't mean in the therapy space it doesn't work. Like, I'm not showing up for them. Like, I'm showing up for them the same way I would a client that yeah, maybe there are personalities jive. And honestly, and I don't know how you all feel about this. A lot of times I prefer to work with people that maybe have, you know, different personality traits that I wouldn't usually associate with. Cause if I see myself or my friends too much in my clients, that's for me where I get like, Ooh, Oh, I, kind of that advice, Justin. Like if I see myself in a client, I'm like, oh, I would have done, oh, nope, that's just <laughs> not psychologist role. But I think a lot of people, especially those that fear rejection from their therapist, have just those basic questions like, am, does my therapist even like me? Oh, the cl- question of, am, am I a, do, do therapists have favorite clients or least favorite clients? I hear that a lot on social media too, but we hear it on social media because these are real questions people have. I always I always say too when I get that question of like do you ever get frustrated with your clients? And I say yes, but it's not in the way that you think. I I can say that 99% of the time I'm not actually frustrated with my client. I'm frustrated with the barriers that they're facing. I'm frustrated with the situations that they're stuck in. I'm frustrated with um, the world and how it is set up and, and their, and their role in that. It's never usually at like the, their humanness because I can sit in a really good space and say like, they're human just as I am, but wow, like you're not, you're not able to apply this coping skill. You, you, you haven't been doing it. You keep telling me you're anxious, but you're not doing, you're not doing anything to help yourself. But the reality is, is that well, they're taking care of their siblings and they're trying so hard to get good grades in school and they're trying to get out of the situation that they're in. But And like, then I take a look back and I realize I'm not actually frustrated with them. I'm frustrated with a situation that they might be in. That lit him it, him it? That was not a word. I don't think that's that, what the dictionary came away. Yeah, <laughs> that limits their ability to take that step forward. And and again, I just think that um, to say that we never get frustrated with clients, I would say that that is not truthful. But I think it looks very different than what people perceive being frustrated with a client is. Like people will perceive it as like, "I'm mad at you. You frustrate me. You disappoint me." That is not what it is. I just. For my own sake, can you say frustrate one more time? No. <laughs> this is leave me alone and leave here. me alone. 
This is how you bully your friends and colleagues. Oh my it's goodness. Fine. She's never going to say it ever again. I, I literally, oh. I, the, the thing is, I agree Didn't with everything. Didn't we say we said. were glad to have you back today, Justin? And all, I know. Yeah, I'm like, I get the fuck revoking that. I retract Get the fuck out of here. I'm just going to say frustrate as much as I can during the rest of this podcast. Let's I just go. love how you don't enunciate the R in there. But it's shorter and it's quicker. Oh my God, I don't. Yeah. You don't. But I, I, I appreciate that because I say a lot of things weird and odd and maybe it's just being from Ohio. But not to take us off the, the plot because I totally agree. Emotional reactions are normal and typical. And I wonder like for clients who are like worrying about being re rejected or that we might be upset at them like – have you had these tough conversations with clients before? If so, like, what does it look like? Yeah, I've had a couple of clients ask, like, do you like meeting with me? Or am I annoying to you? Or I didn't do the homework this week. Are you like, is your job harder now? Like things like that. And, and really, I think what I go back to is compassion because I don't know what it's like living in your body and your mind and your life. Like, I just don't know. I really don't. I could try my best to have empathy and try my best to like put myself in your shoes and really imagine what it's like, but I'm never really going to know. I'm, I'm just never really going to know with hundred percent certainty. So that being said, I can't in my mind allow myself to have that reaction of frustration because I really don't know what it's like. So I always mm -hmm. say to myself, like, if I'm looking at this person human to human, I'd probably be struggling too. You know what I mean? I'd probably... I probably have a hard time doing this if like KBI said, I'm taking care of my sibling or I have all these stressors in my life. I think it comes from a place of privilege for me to say like, oh, just do it, right? Because I'm not looking at all those barriers like KBI beautifully described before of like, you might not have access to these things or whatever. I think that there is a point where clients might say, oh my gosh, I'm, frustra I'm frustrated with myself. Now I can't say frustrated because Justin's about to make fun of everybody. Um, so if I'm frustrated with myself, my therapist must be frustrated with me too. And that might not always be true. You know, um, it might not always be true. I think that at least I'll just speak for myself as a therapist. If I notice myself having a response in my mind, I'll think, where is this coming from? And is it coming from a place of compassion or am I burnt out? Where is it? Or transference? Like, what is it? You know, and that might be something for me to explore in supervision or consultation um, because it might not be a good therapeutic fit. It's rare for me um, in private practice because of the specialties that I have. But I think that if you're wondering if your therapist is frustrated with you personally as a human dispositionally, and they're a pretty authentic therapist, I, I don't know how true that might be. I really think it depends on the circumstance um, and all of that. And you might be frustrated with yourself more so than what your therapist is. That's just my thoughts. Yeah. I really don't say the R, guys. You don't. I just listen no, no, to her no. say that. You don't at all. And You don't. I just heard her say that like six times, and I'm like, I... I don't say the R. I don't want to. It has to be. It has it? to be a Pennsylvania thing because I've learned that I also don't say with very often. I learned that the other just yesterday, so I was like, "Oh, cool." I, I love me some regional accents. Oh, yeah. oh, it's they're all so interesting. Now, now I'm going to focus on this forever. Thanks, <laughs> Justin, for just pointing it out. Yeah, I've definitely had experiences. The ones that are coming to mind are more when a client starts with, I want to tell you something, but I'm scared you're going to be mad at me or I'm scared you're going to be disappointed in me. Because I've had clients say that before. And whether it's something like, 
they didn't do their homework exactly like Kate Tet said, or we, you know, didn't practice a new skill. Or since I work with kids and teens, a lot of times maybe a parent or guardian responded very negatively to a situation and now they're coming to tell me and they fear I'm going to respond the same way. And one thing I always tell my clients is like, it's not my job to be mad or disappointed in you. And there, and and I always say there's rarely, because who knows, one day there may be a situation where a client does something that makes me mad. It has not happened yet. Um, But I say like, it, it, there's nothing that you could do or something very rare that you could do that would ever make me mad or disappointed in you. And we can't work together and move forward if you can't tell me these things. And I think it comes down to, you know, the therapeutic alliance, how safe a client feels. Um, and even just starting these conversations, which can be so anxiety provoking, um, but the willingness to have the conversation. And part of that's on us as the therapist to create and cultivate that space. You know, I always tell people intake, I am an open book. You can ask me pretty much anything other than like my social security number or address, like credit, like those types of things. Um, I'll elicit feedback. You know, was there anything in the session? If I notice I had an incident re- recently, actually, that I I left the session and I was like, I don't like how that ended. Like, it just didn't feel good to me. So I brought it up the next session and they were like, what? (laughs) And I was like, I just need to bring it up for me because this is what I perceived. And it appeared to me that something I said upset you. And I wanted to give you the space to talk about it because you are, you have a right to be upset and mad at me. But if we're not cultivating that space as therapists, we can't expect our clients to feel comfortable to be like, are you annoyed with me? Are you mad at me? Are you disappointed mm. in what I said? Totally. Which, whether a client has rejection sensitivity or not, part of me wonders if part of our job is to give corrective, sometimes tough feedback. How, how do you do that as a therapist and preserve this relationship? Well, I think it starts with rapport, you know, you have to have that solid connection, you know, otherwise the client's just going to think like, what the hell is this? You know, (laughs) like I didn't sign up to Mm. get mentally beat up. Not that that's what we're doing. You know what I mean? But, um, it might be perceived that way. And sometimes I'll, um, I always do the sandwich effect of like what they're doing really good. And I try to be really super authentic about it. Like, Hey, you're doing really good. And here's like the growth edge, you know, are you ready to hear it? Like buckle up, you know, and I'll make a joke because I do that a lot in therapy. Um, and then we'll talk about it that way. But I do come from a place of like, you're a human doing your best, you know, um, mm. you're literally doing your best. Like there's, mm. there, if I was in your shoes, I'd most likely be doing, we're feeling the same way, you know, but I think that I'm noticing this from the outside and you might not notice it. What do you think about that? And I always ask for like this feedback or I just get curious about it and I'm never really definitive with it. I'm like, what does this sound like to you? Does this resonate or not? Like, what do you think? Does this land not? And if it doesn't land, I might ask why. And if I really know that they're kind of avoiding, then I might bring that up. Like, I think this is a little bit of avoidance. Maybe we should talk deeply about it, you know? Um, But if I don't have that rapport with that client, it's hard. I mean, it'd be hard to give that feedback. Yeah. I also think about in the story that Jess just shared, a part of being a therapist is the ongoing assessment. Mm -hmm. Meaning like in a moment, 
you know, we do, we watch body language all day long. It doesn't mean we're always right, but it's our job to assess how something's landing and how something's going and do those check-ins. The more your therapist just assumes and doesn't check in, I'm just letting you know that's not great therapy. Because you can't know. I don't care how long you've been working with someone. If you don't check in, if you don't ask those questions of like, how'd that land with you? Or again, how, how are we doing within our relationship, which can be a great check-in um, anytime when you're working with clients. But these check-ins offer you that opportunity to really share um, and ask those questions, which you can do anytime. But I do think that can be something when I hear people's stories about therapy that can sound like it's lacking, that maybe the therapist isn't checking in or affording you sort of that power equalizing questions that open you up to be like, you know, yeah, this these last few sessions haven't made me feel very good or made me feel like we're progressing. I was going to say, I, I, the only other thought I had is part of our jobs as mental health professionals is model certain behaviors, certain skills, things like that. And if we are not receptive to corrective or tough feedback, our client is also not going to receive it well. So, you know, opening up that two-way dialogue, you know, what what is working for you about therapy? What is not? Giving them permission to give you feedback if something you say does hurt or come across the wrong way. Um, because if, and I'm, I'm pretty sure we've talked about this on the podcast before, but if your therapist is really defensive and unwilling to receive feedback, yeah, you're not going to take feedback from them, whether you have <clears> rejection <throat> sensitivity or not. Absolutely. Like you're, you're going to be like, well, if you can't do it, why would I? take the feedback we love good modeling we also love the google scholar shorts hell yeah we do yeah we do we are... yes. Yes. it's the so... day before valentine's day by the way people's <laughs> justin's favorite holiday justin loves it he hasn't been he's been talking about it so much it's like we're, we have to tell him to stop <laughs> i almost commented on his reel today being like He's like, oh, like celebrate Valentine's Day with all people, blah, blah. I'm like, you hate Valentine's Day. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why I made that real. Like, I'm like shut up. Let's you don't like it. Let's expand this holiday. Why is it just about romantic relationships? We don't. But if we would send you, if we would send you flowers, you'd be like, it's this fucking holiday. Fuck your flowers. I, I, if it was like, you're my podcast bestie. I appreciate and value you. Yo, that would make my year, but subtle hint. Okay, so <laughs> only Jackie gets it. only Jackie gets flowers. From us. Yeah. So, from Fair us. enough. So back to the Google Scholar shorts. Um, I'll be honest, I didn't really know what avenue to take on a research article this week um, because I couldn't find a lot about rejection rejection sensitivity specifically in psychotherapy. Mm. I could find it in general, but not necessarily in psychotherapy. Um, but really when thinking about rejection sensitivity and like unanswered questions a lot of clients have, kind of what we were alluding to, a lot was coming up to me about like the therapeutic alliance and that relationship. Mm. Um, so that's kind of the avenue I took for this week. So my question to you this week, what therapist factors do you believe have an impact on the therapeutic alliance 
an outcome of mental health of youth. So only therapist factors. Like qualities like openness and warmth? Maybe. Okay. <laughs> You're like, maybe, but probably not. <laughs> no. <laughs> Their age. Okay. Oh. Hmm. I don't, I'm just thinking empathy. Like I, I'm drawing blanks. I don't know. Okay. Openness, warmth, empathy, age. Okay. So, sorry, KBI. This is from 2023. I know. So old. Last year oh, instead of this year. She's going to be still. I started off the year Fuck strong. You. Fuck I your research. Of, I know. I think most of my <sighs> January podcast. Throw it out. 2024 research. But it's outdated. Um, it was a systematic, <laughs> systematic review of 15 studies. So, I'm just going to go over some of the results. So, they looked at therapist attachment styles as one of the factors. So if therapists had a secure attachment style, children demonstrated positive outcomes in terms of reduction in symptoms. When therapists demonstrated an anxious attachment style, this increased children's level of aggression at the end of therapy compared to baseline scores. And then interestingly, avoidant attachment did not statistically significantly predict outcomes. Um, studies found that when therapists demonstrated behaviors, including being responsive to the young person's feelings, facilitating collaboration, eliciting information about situations and internal states, and providing a summary of discussions, this had a positive significant impact on building the therapeutic alliance. Conversely, when therapists pushed the child to talk, uh, forgot something that the young person had previously said not acknowledging their emotions, um, those all things negatively impacted the alliance. Um, behaviors such as being collaborative, adapting sessions to the youth's interests, um, and having positive interactions increased the alliance. And then, so KBI, with regard to demographic factors, findings were very mixed, but the one consistent finding they found was related to ethnicity, showing that clients from ethnic minority groups benefit most from ethnic matching. So the therapist and client are the same ethnic background. That makes sense. Anything that stuck out to you all? As obvious or not obvious? My, my mind went down a rabbit hole with therapists forgetting. Maybe that's a whole different <laughs> episode of like... As a therapist, you don't remember everything, but you have to remember the important things, not what you think is important, yep. what you perceive your client thinks is important. Meaning if they think their dog is their world. If you forget that dog's name, it's over for you. <laughs> I wouldn't, maybe not over, but it is interesting. Yeah. How for each person, what is important to remember and not is a moving kind of target. Mm -hmm. I thought that the avoidant attachment style would have resulted yeah. in something potentially unhelpful, you know, um, but maybe the, that level of emotional distance is helpful. I have no idea how that would come out in therapy, but yeah. I was surprised by that too. Yeah. And Justin, exactly what you said when I saw the part about forgetting something, because that's happened so much. Like I have written down the names of so many freaking video games mm -hmm. that I know nothing oh, about yeah. or TV shows, just so the next session I can be like, how's blah, blah, blah going? <laughs> just oh, yeah. <laughs> I have to research it so I like sound like I know what's going on. Because to me, but exactly like you said, 
it, it might not mean anything. Or to another client, they might just offhandedly mention. But for some, it's super important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, we also do remember a lot. Like, I want to give us yeah. a credit. Oh, yeah. The stuff I remember, sometimes I even surprise myself. I'm like, how do I remember their name? Like, you know what I mean? Or how do I remember that this is the XX, not the original X? Or like, like, like how did I, you know? Um, Someone just posted a video. I literally saw this like maybe an hour ago. And it was like, oh, do you? Yeah, you probably don't remember, but my great grandma's second cousin, third removed dog's best friend's neighbor. And they're like, yeah, Johnny. And you're like, Like, again, like the the little things that we remember sometimes that go along with those big things that we remember, like, I'm just like, there's so, there's so a lot of nothing up here, but a whole lot of something. Like. Can confirm. Yeah. (laughs) I was just hoping KBI was like, I just saw a video like 20 minutes ago and we were going to be like, KBI, we were recording 20 minutes ago. Yeah. I was like, hey, check her phone. Yeah. Her head dropped. (laughs) That's the time. That's the time blindness that has no sense of time at all. To me, I'm like, we've been here for five minutes. It's fine. Oh my God. No sense. That might be a bigger problem than saying frustrated. Yeah. I, I know what, just know what is not a problem though. Podcast today and just rip KBI apart. (laughs) Like it's just, I love it. I'm going to start a petition to kick Justin off this podcast. You would definitely get enough signatures, and it would probably be warranted. <laughs> oh my god! Ah, uh, the polls. Yeah, Woo! Like we don't have a, a transition. No, that was my transition, and it was smooth. Okay, okay. it was as butter. Okay. The hand gesture, <laughs> not as much. No. I was in charge of the polls this week. I feel like I haven't done the polls in a hot minute. So there were three of them. So the first one was, are you in therapy? Either yes, I am. I have been, but I'm not right now. And no, I've never have been. It's one of the first two. 58% in therapy right now. 78% of our group members are in therapy. Because we are all unwell. Look Listen, that. that means they're they're well compared to probably the now. Are they in therapy point. because they're counting group therapy? We'll never know. We'll never they're know. They're going to be in therapy now that they learned you said frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know when Jess piles on. Yo, it's bad. <laughs> It's on. Like I never say that. That took me like so much mental energy to remove the idea of saying. Let's try it. Frustrated. 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 That doesn't. No, it's frustrated. It really is. But what else do you say? Like, like, do you say breakfast weird? Like, like, what else? Like, I feel like there's. Um, I did find a word that not a lot of people know, and that's yins. Yeah, I know Yins oh. because I'm. What are you? Like what are Yins doing term. later? Yeah, yeah, that's from that's a Pennsylvania thing. What are Yins doing later? Yeah, all my Pittsburgh friends. I went to undergrad. But also, there. also, if we're gonna make fun of my frustrated. We're gonna make fun of K Tense Human. Human. The way human here. The New York human. 
that comes human? out when you say it. Human? In your New York. Yeah, you just say human and Oh, it's there's no age. Humor. Yeah, there's no there's no age. Yeah. yeah. You're a you you're a you yeah, it is. Human. human. You got a sense of humor. You Oh my god, you got the humor. <laughs> yeah. It's the dialects. It's the dialects. You I love I cherish them. Gosh, they're so great. The second poll was, have you ever thought about what your therapist thinks about you? Yes, all the time. It's crossed my mind a few times, or I've never really given it a lot of thought. I've never given a lot of thought 3%. 64% all the time, or a lot of the time, whatever that one was. Oh, 70% all the time. 59% all of the time. 37% it's crossed my mind a few times, and 4% I've never really thought about it. <laughs> Justin, you are on is a it. cheater. I just went, I went for the low. I don't know yeah, why. Yeah, I was like, I was like, yeah, he just went for low. And then the last one was, have you ever wondered if your therapist hates you? Yes, I have or no, I haven't. Yeah. 60% I yeah. Say, see, I'm going to, I feel like this is going to be a close, like, I don't know. If it, it's right. not going to be 50-50, but I feel like it's going to be close because hate yeah. is a very strong word. Hate strong. 55% yes, I have and 45 no, I haven't. Yeah. I think that the hate is just hate brings out. It's a like lot the song. People. Hate is a strong word, but I really, really, really don't like you. <laughs> wow, that's a bad. That was a banger. Now I'm trying. Who sings that? Um, I don't remember. Or, or you could just be like Three Days Grace and be like, I hate everything about you. There we go. But know what? We don't hate our guest. Y'all, we are so excited to have our special guest here answering all your questions about rejection sensitivity or all those things that you've been scared to ask in therapy. You all probably know her as Dr. T, but Dr. Ty Alonzo is a bilingual Cuban-American clinical psychologist specializing in the treatment of anxiety, grief, trauma, and family relationships. She worked as a forensic psychologist for over eight years, conducting evaluations, offering psychotherapy, providing expert testimony in family courts. And she currently runs a private practice in New Jersey, where she provides psychotherapy and mentors early career therapists. Dr. T is best known on social media, where she openly talks about therapy, what it can be like to be in therapy, and some of the common concerns and questions that people who go to therapy might have. Dr. T aims to humanize mental health struggles by offering therapeutic insights that encourage self-reflection and foster greater self-compassion. She strives to create a supportive space where mental health is seen not as a stigma, but as an integral part of our shared human experience. She was also, fun fact, the most requested guest on our Number one. when we asked. <laughs> so, Numero Ty, un. thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm really surprised to hear that, and I'm really excited to be here. <laughs> so we have a few questions for you before we jump into the group member questions, if that's okay. Yeah, of course. So first, why did you start a social media platform uh, specifically dedicated to demystifying therapy and the therapeutic process? That was a journey. Um, there's a long <laughs> version and a short version. Which version do you want? It's up to you. Short one. Sure. Well, uh, like I was working for a group practice and it was like right around the time that we came back after the quarantine. 
like in 2020, we came back to work and I was trying to figure out like my identity as a therapist and what I really wanted to focus on and sort of give back at that time. So I started an anonymous Instagram account. And I was like, I'm just going to put thoughts out there. There's no picture. Nobody's going to know it's me because I've, you know, right up until the point I became a psychologist, I always had a lot of social anxiety. So I was like, I'm just going to do it this way. And then the Instagram algorithm outed me to like my entire like family and friends. And I was like, oh, I guess I, I'm committed to this now. So then that turned into TikTok videos. And I'm like, what am I talking about here? Like, it was hard to figure out like exactly what I was going to talk about because I had done so many different kinds of work. Um, but I was really interested in the therapeutic process and like understanding people, really getting to know them, knowing myself as a therapist. So that was like a real interest, personal interest of mine. So I focused it on that. And then it also helped me cope with the guilt that I couldn't take on all the people that were calling for therapy, feeling like I was doing something that was accessible and that was free and that people could tune into and hopefully be able to reflect on and that could be helpful somehow. I love that. Also, mm -hmm. that dang TikTok and Instagram algorithm always ouch. I know like a couple people here not outing them have like spam accounts or like anonymous mm -hmm. accounts. And like, I will out myself. I have some and I definitely have random people that I know request to follow it, even though like there's no identifying mm -hmm. information. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, ow. same. Creepy. I don't, I don't know. But here I am. I don't think I was supposed to be here, but I'm here. <laughs> well, we're glad you're here. Um, and then the other question, and this is the one we ask all our guests. So it's yeah. a very important one. Are you team muffins or team donuts? Okay. I'm going to have to say muffins, but it has to be a good I muffin. It. it can't be a dry I muffin. If it's a dry muffin, I don't like it. I knew you were. I kind of, I kind of, yeah. I kind of thought it would be too, even though I. <laughs> but I'm why? Doctor T, I want to hear your It's a win for Team Muffin today. Yeah. So what KBI is... and I are Team Muffin, and then Justin and K10 are Team Donut. Like when we had Lena on, I knew she was going to be Team Donut. That was like not going to even be. But I, I had hope that Ty would be Team Muffin. I don't know. I have in. Inside scoop since I've met you. I don't know. We didn't talk about muffins, but I just. But tell know, me, give, tell me more. What is the you energy? Give muffin what is muffin energy, energy instead of donut energy? I don't know. <laughs> it's I, a preference. Okay. Which I yeah. need to know what muffin energy is because Jess, we are both team muffin, but are literally the opposite. The opposite. Yeah, so I was going to say, so I literally, after that came out of my mouth, I knew, I feel like I give muffin energy. You definitely give muffin top energy. You don't like the whole muffin. Exactly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> She's an imposter. If you only like 60 or 70% of something and you throw the rest away, you don't really like that that much I, I mean it's the same with the like donut 30%. i don't eat the icing on the donut either oh we've gone into territory this is that like this is like this is offensive deeper than i thought it was this is today <laughs> or or maybe she just knows what she wants thank she you that's those are the reframes <laughs> of a true therapist yeah but notice she's only or a mom of three kids <laughs> Fair. We're only a couple of minutes in. Give me a chance. <laughs> this is oh awesome. my gosh. 
All right. Well, let's get to the group member okay. questions. Dr. T, okay. you know, I love your content. Muffin energy. I might bring that to my own therapy. Muffin energy. Dr. T, muffin mm-hmm. energy. PhD. <laughs> yeah. Actually, funny fact, my therapist's name is also Dr. T. So mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. Yeah. Dr. T. Does with Dr. T, T. T anyway. give off muffin or donut energy? <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to say she gives off like scone energy. Whoa. There's like a, there's like a third category. She's, she's fancy. <laughs> that is very fancy. My mind is going in crazy places. I'm really happy you brought that up. <laughs> I'm really happy you brought that up. So I'll be, I'll be asking our group member questions today. Um, really excited okay. to have you here. Um, I literally love your content and so does everybody else. So really happy you're here. Um, the you. first one wasn't exactly a question, but a comment um, from Emily. She's from Canada and she said, not a question, but I wanted to say, I'm so excited to finally see Dr. T on the podcast. So. You are well, well wanted here. Yeah. Thank you, Emily. Yeah. Okay. The first one is from Anonymous. Um, She's from Ireland. She said, I'm going through a hard time at the moment and I've been seeing my therapist for one year and they suggested to take a six week break from therapy. I feel very rejected and I wonder if I pissed them off. Why would a therapist suggest a break in therapy? That's a hard question to answer without any more context. I know. I'm always left feeling when I get questions like this, like I want to know more what's what was happening in therapy, because just just that by itself, I'm sort of confused why it would be suggested. But, you know, I always tell the people that I talk to, I was like, look, I can only answer so much because I don't know enough about you and your situation. But if something bugs you, it's definitely worth telling your therapist about. I love that answer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the context is so important. And I think sometimes there are clients might think therapy breaks are always bad, you know, or something mm-hmm. like that. I think people tend to generalize, but okay. Next question. Um, from anonymous again, do mm-hmm. therapists get burned out or sick of working with clients that they've been seeing for years? I wouldn't say that I get burned out by working by with a particular client, but there are mo- weeks or months where I've like taken on a lot of work, not built in enough breaks and definitely felt burnt out. But when I start to feel that way, to me, that's a sign that I need to like take some time for myself. And, you know, I've been very lucky to have a lot of therapist friends where we can sort of call each other and be like, oh, I'm starting to feel this way. And they're like, Ugh, that's a sign you need to take a break. Like, you, you know do you even have time to go to the bathroom in between your sessions? Because I think sometimes in an effort to help, we take on so much and then it's overwhelming. So I definitely have to stay mindful of that. So my answer is not a particular client. um, But if I start to feel like things are getting really hard, that's usually a sign to reflect for me. I love that. Mm -hmm. All right. Next one from Rayan from Arizona. So I've been doing trauma therapy and some sessions are significantly more difficult. Usually after an emotional session, I'll notice my brain telling me I was quote too much and quote, she, my therapist hates working with me. When these thoughts come in, I tend to tell myself I'm being ridiculous and I have no proof that she hates me. And I could feel that this is not the most helpful. What are some ways that I can navigate these thoughts post-session that aren't dismissive to myself? Mm -hmm. Well, the first thing that sort of pops out at me is the judgment, even in both of those ways of looking at it. I'm too much right? Like a judgment of like, I, I was burdensome to the therapist. And then I'm ridiculous, which is like a judgment that's meant to be a way of kind of 
coping, but still feels sort of mean to, to yourself. And so I think one of the things that I try to practice with my clients is, first of all, trauma work is really hard. It's really hard. And it's really normal in some of these sessions to have kind of like a hangover from opening too much up at once. Um, so it's important to have an open dialogue about that. Like, is that tolerable for you? But then also to be like, okay, this is really hard and I'm feeling really vulnerable. And that's, that's often part of this work and that's okay. And I can bring that up. Love it. Mm. I respect my therapist and value our relationship so much. She makes me feel safe and not judged in any way, but I do care what she thinks about me. And sometimes I feel like it may prohibit me from fully showing up and saying what I need to say. Any tips on just letting go and knowing she really just wants the best for me? I mean, who doesn't care, right? What, what their therapist thinks about them. It's such an intimate relationship. I think even if you have an awesome one, like sometimes we talk about hard things and of course that's going to come up. Um, super normal. Um, I would say it's probably worth discussing when it gets to the point that you feel like you need something from your therapist, but you inhibit yourself because there's a fear that that's going to have some sort of negative effect. So then you don't get the help that you need because of that fear. Okay. Alexa from Florida. Are there any research-based maybe reasons why rejection sensitivity occurs? Is it due to adverse child events, unmet needs, or just personality differences? I appreciate all of you. And I'm, I'm really excited to hear Dr. T's thoughts on this. Yeah, I mean, we can talk a lot about this. There's so many reasons. First of all, I think sort of as human beings, like we, we're looking for belonging. And so we're going to have some degree of sensitivity to rejection. And some of us are going to be more sensitive than others. And so if you've lived a life where you had a lot of rejection, let's say maybe you've struggled with a particular thing and you've had it in lots of different settings, you're going to have more sensitivity to it. If you have had experiences, let's say like relational traumas, whether it's with caregivers or peers or teachers, um, then you're also going to be sensitive to it. But the way that it comes up and it plays out for people is going to be different. So there's a ton of research, yes, that will, will say that some people are more susceptible to it than others. But I think that we could all in certain situations be susceptible to it. Sarah from London, can you talk a bit about ruptures and therapy? How do you know when ruptures are happening too frequently? But also, how do you know when ruptures are happening? Because as the client, you're a bit too sensitive slash overreact. No, that comes up a lot in the comments, like the whole, am I too much? Am I too burdensome? Is this like my problem? And there's really not a problem here, right? Like people having a hard time trusting their own feelings as like guidance about what's happening. That's so hard. And I imagine it's very confusing to live like that. Um, I'm trying to think about how to answer this well. I think ruptures are going to happen in all relationships. And I think the goal of it isn't to figure out, well, is this in my head or is this really happening? Is to get to a place where like, if it bothers you, you can have a conversation about it and you can work through it in this relationship. Because what happens a lot of times in therapy is that that relationship is going to parallel what happens outside of therapy. So if I tend to feel that I'm too burdensome with my therapist, that probably is also happening in my friendships. It's probably also happening in my romantic relationships and in some other relationships. 
So it's sort of like a practice ground. Isabella from Canada. How do you usually talk to clients about their feelings towards you, the therapist, either negative mm -hmm. or positive? Fear of rejection or severe attachment issues? P.S. I love your TikToks and watch them way too much. Oh, thank you. Um, I, I like to like warn new clients about this in the beginning. Um, one of my favorite things to do when I meet someone new is to ask about their history in therapy, if they have one at all. Like, have you been in therapy before? Tell me about your previous therapist. What was helpful? What was not helpful? Like, what are some things that you found annoying? Like, why did you end therapy? How did that happen? And what I'm looking for here is like, obviously, like what works for this person and what doesn't, but also like, what are the patterns across therapists? And if they don't have that, then I ask about like, well, what, what do you imagine it would be like? Tell me about your relationships. Because if I notice that there's a pattern of feeling rejected, or there's a pattern of feeling like the therapist doesn't listen or is mean, like, yeah, that's that that happened but also i'm curious about how much of that the client is also bringing into therapy so then i'll say to them sometimes things that happen outside of therapy you know with other people might also come up with us it might never happen but if it ever does i want you to know that that's something that's totally okay to bring up we can talk about it you might find yourself maybe sometimes even feeling annoyed with me or feeling mad at me that's something that i'm okay with you letting me know so we can figure out where that's coming from. And I do that to kind of just like lay the groundwork so that when we get there, if we get there, I'm like, remember that time that we talked about that? I wonder if this is one of those times. I love that, Dr. T. Um, and thinking of especially the fear of rejection, severe attachment, and kind of setting that baseline. One thing I do very early on and remind clients throughout is like, my job is for you not to need me anymore. Um, so mm -hmm. going, thinking about the like severe attachment. And so if I do notice like, you know, people want, somebody maybe wants weekly sessions when really they don't need weekly, like, you know, you've been doing well, let's try bi-weekly and like explaining rationale for that. And, you know, this is not a rejection. It's more of you doing so well, you applying the skills, you doing the hard work, um, but I loved everything you said and kind of setting up that groundwork and then revisiting it. Like, hey, remember when we had this discussion um, and mm -hmm. you weren't here for the first half, but exactly like you said, um, you're allowed to be mad at me. You're allowed to do these things. We were talking about if the therapist doesn't model being receptive to those like feelings and feedback, our client mm -hmm. is not going to be receptive when we have to give hard feedback. Yeah. And a lot of times people who are really worried about rejection and have a lot of attachment, like, you know, not so great experiences, maybe have not had someone who's made it okay for them to be mad at them. And so to have that experience, to have like a falling out, to feel like, you know, you're beefing with your therapist, but then your therapist can hear you out and you guys like can be okay after that, like that could be such a new experience for so many people. That's so true. I think being able to see it come full circle is so helpful. Mm -hmm. Okay. B from the USA. Um, she asked, how do you as therapists handle clients you don't click with or that frustrate slash annoy you? My therapist mentioned once that she had other clients that she had to work harder with wanting to work with them and others that she just doesn't like. 
Oh no. I know it's, it's hard. Um, of course she didn't give specifics, but it's made me wonder how therapists (sighs) can set those feelings aside and give the client the support that they're wanting. Okay. There are some things that are just not helpful to say. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I, and we have to like, really like think about like, what is the point of me sharing this? Is this helpful? Is this like an unloading? Because if so, then it's, it's not necessary here. Um, do we sometimes feel frustrated as therapists? Yes. Right. We're like, we're human beings. I think a lot of times for me, the frustration is like, oh, am I doing enough? Like, am, am I being a good enough therapist? And that's like my own personal anxiety about it that I have to deal with on my own outside of therapy. And then there are certain like dynamics that come up in therapy that could feel frustrating, but it's not that you're frustrated with the person. It's the way that a certain thing might be playing out. Like, let's say for instance, like someone is hurt, but they have a way of communicating it in this like passive aggressive way that's really unclear. And so there's some acting out that's happening in therapy and that can show up lots of different ways, like last minute canceling or no showing or just taking like sort of jabs at the therapist within the session. And you might be like, whoa, like what's happening here? Like I'm having feelings about it. Um, And if that happens, I might just point out the behavior and like explore with the client, like what's going on? Just from like a more curious, compassionate space, because sometimes these behaviors I think can be meaningful. And I think if you, then it gives you a chance to kind of explore it and get at what's really going on. I just, I just want to point out all of our reactions to that what? question. And we were all just like, oh yeah. Well, they said what? Because mm-hmm. like in like you said, like what was the point? What was the point of bringing that to that scenario, other than the potential to then make your client spiral? I saw this video that you just posted, and it was like being a teenager and your therapist saying you're the easiest client you've ever had. Mm-hmm. And I was that, like, yeah, what an awful thing to say. 15. Yeah, yeah. That feels like this. Like, I wonder if this therapist is trying to say, like, you're so easy, which is also an awful thing to say. Yeah. I literally, when you were reading that, K10, I was, like, racking my brain. I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, what have I ever mentioned about other clients? And I'm like, no, it's like, don't worry that you had to cancel. A lot of people have the flu now. Like, I'm like, when have I mentioned other clients in session or, like, you know, working with teens? I'm like, oh, no. Like, when I've had clients that go on to graduate high school, but like nothing like, I don't know, mentioning like having clients that are harder to work with because to, to KBI and Dr. T, your points, like, yeah, that's going to make the client spiral. Like, am I one of those hard mm-hmm. clients or am I an easy client? And I mean, that's not a good label either, but we can get into that. Yeah. No, no. Some self-disclosure is just not helpful, <laughs> you know, like really. Um yeah, yeah, as I was reading it, I was like backpedaling. I was like, ooh, should I ask this one? Shit. <laughs> but I'm glad that I did because we all mm-hmm. pretty much feel the same about it. Um, another one from Anonymous. Um, so do therapists ever dislike a client but continue to see them anyway? I can't say that I've ever disliked a person that I've worked with. Um, there are certainly people where I think like, our personalities have been a better match. And so it's been easier to like take off a little bit earlier on maybe. 
And then with other people, I feel like I might have to get to know them a little bit better before I know like exactly what we're doing here or like um, how to go about certain things. So I say like that's been my experience. But when I'm working with someone and we're we're talking about like what it feels like to be them and what their life is like and what their what it feels like, like it's really hard not to connect with someone once they're there. I don't know if if you agree, but like once we get to the emotional stuff, I'm like, oh yeah, I see you. That's a hundred percent what I was gonna add. Is like one of the privileges of being a therapist is when you know someone's narrative, you would you interpret them and experience them completely different. But most people mm -hmm. we interact with in the world, the person who cuts you off in traffic, someone you just don't really like as a coworker, you don't know their narrative. You know about ten percent of who they are, but it's easy to like, I put in quotes, anybody when you know them, you know where they come from, you know how they grew up, you know their challenges, they're vulnerable with you. There's a closeness mm -hmm. that forms in therapy that is so unique that this whole concept of like liking or disliking clients, I don't think it's a thing within therapeutic world. Like for people who are non-mental health professionals listening, this isn't something I've ever heard another professional ever say to me or around me of like, I don't like this client. And I think mm -hmm. it's for those reasons, when you're privileged enough to hear someone's narrative and sit with them in vulnerability, you feel that connection with them. And it's real, regardless of differences. Mm -hmm. I definitely agree. And like, the only thing I can kind of equate to, it's not a like or dislike, but there are some clients and therapists that just don't click. But usually you don't sure. make it past a few sessions because you feel like it's not a good match. But that doesn't mean you don't like the client. It just wasn't a good fit. But that's like the closest thing. I agree with you, Justin. I have never heard a ther a good therapist. And I only associate with good therapists, obviously. <laughs> <Disclaimer>. <laughs> Say that they dislike a client. Like, I can't fathom, like, how you could objectively yeah. work with a client that you dislike. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Dr. T, you described that so beautifully, too, and everybody here. Because I, I think when I'm really thinking deeply, I think, like, maybe I've learned a couple of sessions in, like, this client might have an issue that I'm not trained in, you know, and I have to kind of refer mm -hmm. out. It's not that I don't like them. It's that I know that I can't help them with this specific issue, you know. Um, so just depends. Okay, Renee from Australia asked, what are the best ways to deal with feeling like you've disappointed your therapist and they are mad at you? Yeah, that's such a tough feeling. I know. I hate feeling like I've disappointed someone. That sucks. I mean, I think that a lot of times when someone is in therapy and not just, you know, the person asking the question, like even us as clients who are also therapists, like we might think, that we've disappointed our therapist, but our therapist might not feel that way with us at all. Um, and if we could see what they were actually thinking, we might be really surprised to find that that didn't even cross their mind. And so I always encourage people to talk about these things in a way that feels comfortable for them, because I think that a lot of times they might be surprised to find that that might not be the case. You know, and if it's not the case, then where does that come from? The exploration is so important. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, but some people live their life like really convinced that they're a walking disappointment and mm-hmm. that's not how they're experienced by other people. Totally. Yeah, because I think sometimes we have to remember other people experience us different than we experience ourselves. And sometimes it's hard to like make that distinction when you're experiencing it like that. When yes. it's that deep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anonymous from Ohio. Don't get too excited, Justin. Justin's from Ohio. We make fun of Oh, it. H. Hello. Okay. Um, this is a little different than rejection, I think, but after disclosing a serious trauma to my therapist, even years after the disclosure, I fear she doesn't believe that it happened. Why do you think this is? Why do I think that this person believes their therapist doesn't believe them? Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know. I would have to ask them. I know. Right? Like what? what I wonder what makes you think they don't believe you. Maybe the therapist said something insensitive. Maybe there's a fear, right? That like people are just not going to believe this. Maybe they've not been believed before. Yeah. All valid. Mm-hmm. Morgan from Alberta. Do therapists ever think that clients are a lost cause for being in therapy for so long? No. I mean, I don't. And I think like, even if you went to therapy for, I mean, like, there's always going to be something to work on. It's just a matter of whether you feel it's worth working on. But I don't think so. I think that there's also things that take a really long time to heal from. And I think that sometimes people might come to therapy, but not be ready to deal with like the depth of it. And maybe we can work on a piece and then they come back and maybe they work on another piece or maybe shows up in a different way. Um, But I think those are all different, different parts of it. And that's, that's something that I remind a lot of my clients that were in therapy for such a long time was like, as long as you have that active goal that you're working towards, like you could be in therapy for 20 years Mm -hmm. if you have something you're working towards. And because like you said, like, you know, even someone who's been on this healing journey, you know, for a while, there are ways that my trauma pops up that. I didn't realize like when I became a mother, my trauma completely transformed and things were popping up in ways that I had not handled before. As Mm -hmm. my child gets older, and I think I talked about this on the podcast before, and I've talked about this on my platform, my child is entering now into the ages of when my child, when my trauma started. And that is like, that's a topic of conversation in my own therapy because Mm -hmm. it transforms over time. And, and so it's like, one of those things is like, yes, have I worked on it? Absolutely. And have I gotten to a place of healing, but you never know how it can pop up differently in different phases of your life and, and different pieces. Yeah. And that whole thing about like things popping up when you're a parent and you have a child is is so real. Cause I don't think I've reflected on my childhood as much as when I've had children and like something will happen and I'll just like remember something from my childhood. I'm like, whoa, where did that come from? Where did that come from? Like, yeah. 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 That one came from the depths. I, we put that one yeah. back there. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You, uh, you took the rest of your muffin, threw it out and you were just like, let me stuff this over there. <laughs> Goodbye. Okay. That's what I do. Yeah. I, I yeeted it into space. All those muffin tops that you're eating. Anyways, um, <laughs> Kay from the United States, 
So this question was a little different. Uh, my question is less about rejection sensitivity and more about being present in therapy. I'm studying to be a therapist right now, and I tend to analyze my therapist and the methods that she uses. How can I reduce my extreme self-awareness in therapy and actually allow myself to be present and not overanalyze myself or my therapist? Mm -hmm. So that's that's another good one. That's like this whole like self-aware talk, and I'm too self-aware for therapy, and where does that come from? Like For me, it would be like, I would be interested in like how does that help? right? What is that doing for you? Um, and for some people, what it does is that it distances them from the feeling. Like I have a lot of anxiety about being in therapy. I have a lot of anxiety about being a therapist, about being a therapist in therapy and what my therapist thinks about me and like all these different things. And so I'm going to get super analytical about it because then I can get far away from here and I can spend the session up here. And like someone might not be aware about that. That might just be their way of dealing with the feeling. Um, maybe it's that. I, I don't know. It's a really good hypothesis though. Really. It, that's think. all we could do. Yeah. 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 Honestly. Yeah. Uh, Savannah from California. How am I supposed to believe my therapist when she assures me she's not frustrated with me when I know she's sp specifically trained to show unconditional positive regard and hide her frustration? I'm always afraid that people in my life are exasperated with me. And I know that my therapist wants it to be a healing experience for me and for me to not and, and for her to not experience being exasperated with me, but how can I trust that it's genuine? That's a hard one. And, and that's come up a lot in my work with clients too. Like there's people who are able to receive that. And then there's people who just can't believe it because they can't believe it because they're so convinced that they're an exasperating person. Um, and then there's some people that will receive that as like condescension right? Like, oh, no, you're not. You're you're awesome. I really like you. And then they don't like hearing that either. Um, so how, what do you do about that? I don't know what do you guys think. What do we do about that? I'm punting it to Justin. Yeah. He seems ready for this one. <laughs> yeah, I... I <laughs> I just like that you used a football reference right off your Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl victory. So, oh, a hair flip. I like that. I wish I could do that as a Cleveland Browns fan, but I don't have the hair or the wins. Um, it's interesting. I think with anything, it's about exploring where does this come from for you, which when you have a client over the long term, and since I use interpersonal process therapy, I'm fascinated by that. Like, when did you first notice this theme of either feeling like you can't trust what someone says or that you must be a burden to someone or however this plays out for you? Because it's usually tied to something. And of course, I think early childhood experiences impact us greatly. One of the few things Freud was right about, passed to KBI about all the things Freud was wrong about. Mm -hmm. She has lots of shirts that would tell you that. But yeah, I think there's exploration to be done there. And I think even naming this, this is what the beauty of therapy is. Anything could be process of naming uh, to your therapist. You know, often you say things that I just don't believe. Wow. I think that'd be a beautiful thing to hold between you and your therapist and explore. Mm -hmm. Beautifully said, both of you. I love it. All right. Christy from Washington. Hi again. Missed you guys. Excited for this week's episode. My question is, do therapists get upset or annoyed when clients shut down in therapy because of anxiety or they have trouble opening up when they're a few months in with a new therapist and it feels like they're getting nowhere? Any thoughts? 
No. I mean, is it harder to talk? Sure. Yeah. But I think that I just, then I just kind of go down to like the process and like noticing what's happening. And sometimes people just get really quiet. And sometimes there's like a physical thing that happens where like, they might put up their legs and like wrap up their arms. And it almost feels like they're kind of like going into this cocoon or we have like the sweatshirt thing or like they kind of curl over themselves. And I might just like notice that I might even like say like, Oh, if you, you got really quiet as soon as we talked about this or it kind of feels like there's like a wall between us right now um what was it like to talk about that or it seems like me you know I, I don't know I would just get curious about it I would notice the observation like what I see happening in the room and then I would be curious and I would make sure they felt that that was okay love it yeah the more you push here I think the harder it is totally yeah and I think I think really getting curious like that's or demeanor in therapy, right? Is like, let's get curious about it. Where's it come from? What do you think it's about? Um, because I think when we're able to call it out into the room, like you're saying, then it provides more exploration and the client could actually get to the bottom of it rather than us just saying like, you know, the observation, but yeah. Okay. And sometimes having your therapist sort of name it for you can be helpful. Like okay. if you're having a hard time, like they mm -hmm. see that you're having a hard time. It's validating. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Lisa from Kentucky asked, do you think therapists are actually totally non-judgmental? No. <laughs> I mean, we have biases that we have to keep in check and we have to like be aware of what those are. Like, that's so important. I think to be like, yes, I have no judgments and no biases about anything would be like such a red flag for me in a therapist. Um, but I think we have to approach the work non-judgmentally, like be aware that I'm having a judgment and also understand that's my stuff and that doesn't come into this place. My thought on that question, and, and I completely agree with you, Ty, you know, we're, we're human. I find myself like not judging my client, but like this, the people in their lives that they tell me stories about. So when people are like, mm -hmm. are therapists non-judgmental? I'm like, have you ever seen my face when like <laughs> they tell me a story about someone? And I'm like, oh, what? Um, but yeah, exactly. I'm, you answered much more therapeutically. Um, but yeah, we all have judgments, biases. And like you said, it just, we have to approach our work non-judgmentally and seek consultation and supervision if we find that our judgment and biases are getting in the way. But yeah, we're human. I don't know about you all. I definitely judge the people my clients talk about way more than I would ever judge my client for anything. I always joke that like the amount of people that I dislike or or like judge, I don't even know what they look like. Because it's it's people that the client that my clients talk about and I always joke like I don't even know what their last name is. That's true. It's fair. I also think there's a big difference between like when people bring up like judgment, this idea that therapists have this like, this is the right way you should be living and this is the wrong way. Almost all the therapists I know, like we know life is lived in the gray. And like we said before, like mm -hmm. what's working for you, which could be different than somebody else. But having reactions, I'm not a blank slate therapist. It's cool if people are in certain ways you have good debates in the field about that. But I think having reactions to things sometimes can be good modeling. Now, if your therapist's reactions are so big, it takes 
the microphone away from you metaphorically, then yeah, maybe it's a little too much or there might be things to process in there. But I think it's normal to have reactions to things clients are saying. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I don't know if I, I can't be a blank slate if I tried. There's no way for me. Yeah. No. Caitlin from California. What are some ways that therapists can work through rejection sensitivity and fearing that clients hate us? Oh, hate the therapist. Mm-hmm. That's plot a great twist. question. <laughs> yes, I like this plot twist. <clears throat> you know, I've been thinking about this actually. I was like, I, rec- I recorded a video, I didn't publish it, but I was like, sometimes I think we're afraid of upsetting a client and we make allowances or like we run over. Like, for instance, that's like one that happens all the time. You run over because you don't want them to be upset because we're ending on this, on this um, place. Um, or you schedule them for a time that you couldn't, but you felt, you know, you wanted to accommodate. Um, and I think that it's not, it's not necessarily a bad thing if a client has a, has a reaction to something like that, as long as you're, you do it compassionately. But like, how do we, how do we deal with that? We deal with that in therapy and like peer supervision right? We don't want to put the client in a position of feeling like they have to take care of us in therapy because then we can like reenact a bunch of really bad stuff. Beautifully said. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Shelby from Canada. Sometimes I feel like my issues in therapy aren't good enough for me to be in therapy. And I wonder if my therapist thinks I'm just wasting her time. How do we know if we feel like, how do we know if we're wasting our therapist's time? I don't think that I feel that way with the people that come into my office. I think more often than not, they're more concerned about that than I am. Like I, once you start telling me your story and your experience of it, like, I think that's important. And I think that that's valid and it matters. So like, if this is the concern, then for me, the work goes to like, why can't we trust our judgment, right? Why isn't feeling bad about something enough for that to matter? Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I love that answer. I can't believe I'm about to say this, but we are at time, and that was the last question. (laughs) It went by so fast. Um, But yeah, thank you all so much for joining us for this week's episode of Welcome to Group Therapy, and a special thanks to Dr. T for being here today and sharing all your insights. If you're not already, please go follow her on TikTok at Dr. T underscore therapist and on Instagram at notes on humanity. We hope you learned something about rejection sensitivity and therapy um, and got some of those questions maybe that you were scared to ask your therapist answered. As always, please rate, review, and subscribe. Share this episode with someone who may be worried about what their therapist thinks of them. And we will see you next week in group therapy. Bye. Bye, y'all. Bye, guys. Peace. Bye.